0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim 's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. The title of my message uh, is called, Eat the Scroll. Eat the Scroll. Um, and let's uh, start off, uh, let's just turn... Um, I do have a PowerPoint for this afternoon, but I, I know I'm naughty, but I deliberately don't have a PowerPoint today. So it's actually going to force you to actually open your Bibles, and you all handle that. So, uh, so let's go to Ezekiel, and, uh, and we're going to start in verse 7. In fact, let's start in verse 6. Um. What did I say? Did I not say the chapter? I'm sorry. <laughs> if I just verse 6, that's you've got to guess which chapter. <laughs> just kidding. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 in verse 6. So God has called Ezekiel to be a watchman for the house of Israel and to speak his words uh, to Israel. And it says... Um, Starting in verse 6, and you, Son of Man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Now, I love the imagery. I don't know about you, but I mean, just the, the imagery in the scriptures is just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, obviously, Ezekiel was not literally sort of lying in briars and thorns because he was an intelligent person. Um, but what he's talking about here—it's symbolic. Have you ever been amongst people and you feel spiritually that you are among briars and thorns? At least one person. So the rest of you must have amazing lives. <laughs> Praise God! Just you lay your hands on me, so that oh. won't happen to me. <laughs> But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. So briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Can you imagine in the natural, living amongst scorpions? That would be pretty, pretty shocking, wouldn't it? Um, you know, um, my wife is Tatiana's from the Ukraine. And um, when we started off in Dallas a number of years ago, we'd go for walks and uh, she was just in complete shock about that it's basically like living in an oven during the summer. <laughs> you know, Ukraine has beautiful winters and, you know, trees that are higher than most of our buildings, you know, and the air is clean and fresh, and you just, the summer is just like this oppressive heat, you know, almost like a blanket, you know. Um, if you've grown up here, it probably doesn't, don't give it much thought, but if you haven't, it's pretty, pretty intense, you know, it's a big shock. Um, so anyway, the very first time or one of, wasn't the first time we walked, we've been walking for a while and, uh, I don't know how many degrees it was outside, probably like 140 or something. <laughs> it was hundred and something like in the evening. It was, I think, I mean, it was one of the hottest evenings ever. So we went on our usual walk and I guess it was so hot that all of the animals and little, little insects and whatever, that whatever was out, they just came, was trying to escape from the heat and there was nowhere to escape to. You know, um, and so then this is, my wife will bear witness to this. This is, this is not exaggeration. So, so first of all, um, we saw an armadillo, which to me wasn't a shock because, you know, there's armadillos in Texas. Um, my wife had never seen an armadillo before. And she said, what is that? It's so ugly. <laughs> I said, well, it's not, it's not ugly. I mean, it's one of God's. She says, no, God didn't make that. And I said, no, he did, really? <laughs> then we, we carried on walking. And literally, and I, I haven't seen that many snakes, a snake literally comes just past in front of my, my legs. Um, and I look, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm a little bit scared of snakes, I'll be honest. You know. <laughs> I used to be a boxer to survive anti-Semitism in South Africa, but I don't like snakes. So we carried on walking, and then just before we got back to our home, another, this time a poisonous snake. I don't know exactly what it was, but it actually rose up its head like this. And we went out into the street, and my wife said, we're walking in the middle of the road. I'm not going on any pavement, no grass, nothing like that. It's just we're staying in the middle of the road away from everything, you know. Um, and then so we, we waited for about three years because my wife was so afraid of the animals. <laughs> waited about three years before we could begin to walk again outside. I mean, we walked, just don't get me wrong. But I mean, I mean outside, you know, long walks. And anyway, so it was the other night, and as we were walking... I thought if any insect or anything ugly comes in front of us, I just realized my wife's going to let us walk again outside in the evening, that it'll be over. So I'm just almost praying nothing will appear. And as we're walking, literally a scorpion walks in front of us with a, ta- with a tail up like this. And my wife says, it's a scorpion. I said, it's just a scorpion. Just... No, it's a scorpion. What do you mean just a scorpion? <laughs> so uh, long story short, it's the last time we've walked. <laughs> Now we have a treadmill in the room, in the air-conditioned room. (laughs) That's how we get our, our exercise. My point is, is that some people are more scared than others, but we have decided no walking together outside in these conditions with scorpions and snakes and things like that. And so this is how Ezekiel felt. And, you know, many of you might feel the same in your living situation. You might be with people who are unsaved or married to someone who's unsaved or, or being in a situation where you, you, you feel a lot of oppression. And so uh, it's not foreign to what Ezekiel felt and what Ezekiel experienced. But here's, was, here was God's encouragement to him. Do not be afraid of their words. Do not be afraid of their words. Or dismayed by their looks. Now that's, that's pretty strong words. Are there any people that when you look in their face that you can be afraid of their looks? I'm not talking about how they look. I mean, the way they look at you. Um, Well, there are people like that. And, you know, there are people who tried to intimidate Ezekiel from his mission by looking at him in whatever manner it was. Obviously, God wouldn't have said, don't be afraid of their looks if there was nothing to be afraid of. And so sometimes people can look at you in such a way to try and intimidate you, to try and stare you down. Um, I, I used to be a boxer many years ago in South Africa, Being growing up in South Africa. Uh, I, I had to just to survive. There was a lot of anti-Semitism, especially when I had to go into the military for two years. And, you know, there's, there's some guys who will try and stare you down. And when I would just look them straight in the eye without blinking... They can often tell by your look, by the look in your eyes, either you're afraid of them or you're not. And you cannot show even a drop of fear, even if you feel it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You know, in boxing, you, the two opponents will come and stare each other down often. It's the psychological battle, you know. And so in the spiritual realm, the Lord is saying, don't let anybody intimidate you. When he has given you the words of life and the word of God, don't let anybody intimidate you by their look. Okay. And it says, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. And then verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. For they are rebellious. Now, um, when Rabbi Shiller was asking me, uh, what I was going to be speaking about, what I, what I said, what the Lord put on my heart as a message, even though it's called Eat the Scroll, which you'll understand in a moment why I called it that, is the similarity, actually not even similarity, almost identical, between what God called the ancient prophets in Israel to do in proclaiming his word and his truth and the great commission that Yeshua has given to us as his disciples. Very, very, very similar, uh, almost identical. Because if you really look at the, listen to the Great Commission, which is in Matthew 16, um, Yeshua says to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. In fact, why don't we just turn to uh, to Mark chapter 16? And verse 16, and Yeshua said, he who believes and is immersed will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then in verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen to this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say preach only to those who who want to hear. Only those who are interested, or if they ask you a question about it. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't say, um, preach the gospel to them if they're interested. If they've exhausted all their options, or if they think maybe the gospel is a better alternative to the other philosophy or beliefs. No, no, no. It's an unconditional Command, it's a commandment to go into all the world and to preach the good news to all creation, to everybody. To the Jew first, Romans 1.16, and also to the Gentile, as we're going to speak about this afternoon. But it says, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. And by the way, that doesn't just uh, apply to Jewish people. Try go preaching the gospel in downtown Dallas, and you'll find there's a lot of rebellious people. Probably more rebellious Gentiles than Jews, just because there's more Gentiles than Jews. Amen. <laughs> but you, son of man, hear what I say. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me and there was writing on the inside and on the outside and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Now, you might say, but the gospel is good news, right? We, we, we hear in most churches, right? Just only preach the good news because the good news is that Jesus, that Yeshua is the Messiah and he'll save you of your sins and he's, he has, he's come to forgive you of your sins, But what we don't do or what we tend to ignore, unfortunately, is that Yeshua is not only the Savior of the world, but he's also the judge of the world. And if we don't receive him as Savior, we'll face him as judge. Lamentations, mourning, and woe. (laughs) Now, we don't preach lamentations, mourning, and woe, but we do preach if you reject Yeshua, you'll have eternal lamentations, mourning, and woe. And what we are beginning to experience on the earth right now is just the very, very, compared to what's coming, very, very beginning, beginning, birth pangs or birth pains of God's judgments on the earth. And be careful if people say that these things are not God's judgments. Trust me, they're God's judgments. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll see this is child's play compared to what's coming. And that's why the Lord led me to write this book suddenly, because what is coming upon the earth, compared to what we're experiencing now, this is nothing. This is like a trial run. Uh, in fact, what the Lord, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've all, every, every one of us has been affected in very, very, you know, different ways by this COVID-19 and uh, some worse than others, um, but as you know, there's so many, I've never experienced so many conspiracy theories. I mean, it's literally like, I mean, I don't, maybe there's millions of them, but it certainly <laughs> there's dozens for sure. And a lot of them completely contradict each other. So I'm like, if people are saying two completely opposite things, they can't both be right. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Amen. So, but I was asking the Lord, you know, I, I'm a lover of truth. You're a lover of truth if you... If you you know yeshua and you and you love his word and i said how come there's so much confusion how many there's so how come there's so many conflicting ideas of what, what's happening why is this happening and the holy spirit clearly spoke to me when i was in prayer one morning that what makes this different and i I'm, i don't deny for a second that a lot of people are suffering of course they are some people have even died from this virus you know um, but there's been many many much worse plagues over the, in the past that haven't had the same fear attached to them, that same level of paranoia, you know. And, uh, and clearly, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me, what I felt in my spirit is that with this COVID 19, hand in hand with it, has come a spirit of deception and delusion and a spirit of fear, hand in hand with it. So on the other hand, there's the normal precautions one takes, you know, which we understand about masks and distancing, etc. But then there's this irrational, irrational fear where virtually the whole world economy just has almost come to a standstill. And it's a trial run of the enemy for when the time comes for the anti-messiah, what we would know in church circles as the antichrist or anti-messiah or substitute messiah, to be able to very, very quickly take control of, of this planet, and how incredibly quickly and easy it is to do. And so God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But at the same time, what the Lord has really put on my heart to tell people is don't just blindly follow any and every instruction, but weigh everything through the filter of the word of God. Amen? Amen. So be wise and filter everything through the word of God. Um, I don't know uh, if any of you, uh, Rabbi David, you might have heard of uh, Rachmil Friedland. I don't know if you got to meet him. Um, Rachmil Friedland, just very, very briefly, he wrote a book called When Being Jewish Was a Crime. And um, a Holocaust survivor, like my grandparents, Yiddish speaking, you know, was his first language. I had the privilege of meeting him, spending some time with him. Um, as a very young believer when I was living in New York City. And uh, anyway, I I, I got to read his, I heard some of his testimony through him, but I got to read his book. And many people don't know this, but actually this will encourage you, but you all know about the Warsaw Uprising and how many Polish Jews were killed in the Holocaust, three million in in Poland. Um, But anyway, uh, there were three Jewish missions in Warsaw, before world war ii did you know that and so many jewish people came to faith before the holocaust even began in the 1930s because there were three jewish missions there Uh, and one of them rachmiel friedland uh, who was a very very orthodox observant jew as most were in those days he gave his heart to yeshua and the lord brought it miracle all of his family was killed he was the only survivor even his wife was killed she was a jewish believer too Uh, So they were all killed. Whole Jewish families who were believers, who were believers in Yeshua, were still killed and martyred for their faith. In Yeshua, I'm talking about. It didn't stop them from the same suffering as the other Jews. In some cases, God supernaturally delivered them. But many of them were now with the Lord, and they were killed. There's one whole family that he speaks about, Jewish family, who before they were killed, asked if they can take communion. Take the Lord's table before, they were all killed as a family, and the Nazis let them do it. They took communion, and then they were murdered. So they were Jewish martyrs of the faith during that time. But at the point that I'm getting to here, as things got worse and worse and worse, now I'm sure you can appreciate there weren't many Messianic congregations in those days. So They were basically whatever it would have been. I don't remember exactly, but I think one was like a Baptist mission. The other one was Lutheran or those kinds of you know, denominations who had a real burden to reach the Jews with the gospel. And in many cases, they were Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers, reaching Jewish people with the gospel. Um, but so towards the end of the Holocaust, where miraculously, Rachmiel Friedland had survived, he ended up going, again, there weren't Messianic congregations in those days, he ended up going to a German Baptist church. So they were you know, born-again believers, but Baptists, German Baptists. And one of the, the pastors or pastors or, Gifted preachers, speakers was a German believer, born-again believer, who was involved in the Jewish mission before World War II, reaching Jewish people. So Rachel Friedland was so excited just to be with other believers. I mean, he was the only Jewish believer in that group. And this brother, who'd been so instrumental in, in reaching other Jewish people, said that you, you can't come in here. You're not welcome here. And he wasn't, can you can imagine the shock that he was in? He says, the Bible says that we need to submit to the authorities. And if I shelter or Jew, if I shelter a Jew or protect a Jew or, or take you into my home or allow you into the congregation, I am coming against the authority of the land. At that time it was Hitler. Can you imagine the shock? But and he was absolutely emphatic, and his heart was as cold as, as a rock, and he really believed or convinced himself that he was doing the right thing. And it's a miracle that God kept Rachmel Friedland, that he wasn't killed. But born-again believers turned, in many cases, against the Jewish believers in the name of submitting to the authorities. Now, I'm telling you that, and your mind's probably thinking, but that's disgusting, that's pathetic, that's terrible, that's, how could he even think that? But I'm telling you that there's a very subtle spirit of deception. And you know, one of the things that Yeshua warns us against, and that's going to happen in the last days, and I talk about this in my book as well, that because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And so I I know the Holy Spirit will show you, but when, hopefully I'm wrong that it's going to be when, hopefully it's if, that if a law is passed that you know that as a believer that's a line that you cannot cross, we have to be alert people, and we have to be ready and at that point, if they say, you've got to bow to this idol, you know, like in the days of King Nebuchadnezzar and worship this idol, we've got to stand up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, we will not bow down to that idol. That's too far. We will not. And if you want to throw us into the fire, God, will, God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow down to your idol. And every, every head of every household, every man of God, And every woman of God, God will show you that time. But I really feel this is a prophetic warning from the Lord. Not just to automatically, just mindlessly and blindly just obey every command. Amen? Amen. But judge it and measure it against the word of God. And so, Yeshua said the time is coming when we won't be able to work anymore. Work while it is day. What does that mean? While the doors are open. While we have the opportunity to freely proclaim the gospel. That's why I urge you to come this afternoon and to, to get equipped and just let me share my f- 36 years of experience, uh, which I don't claim as anything, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's just time-tested, proven-tested, proven and tested principles that I've seen a lot of fruit and many Jewish people come to the Lord through. So, the gospel message, we need to share it whether people want to hear it or whether they don't. Then we go down to uh, Ezekiel 3 now, starting in verse 1. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat the scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. What I want to say here, eating the scroll, it sounds kind of delicious. Whenever I read this, I get a bit jealous, you know, in a godly way. Like, I want to eat a scroll, you know. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, well, you can, and you do every day. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the actual experience was like, but it's, 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 with Ezekiel, it's very, very specific. But when we eat, when we read the Scriptures, and we get filled with the Word of God, we are eating the scroll. You know, the, the, the Scripture speaks of Yeshua, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So we need to ingest the Word to the point where the word becomes flesh in us. And then when the, when the king, whoever the king is or going to be, uh, brings an edict that is, that is against the word of God immediately because that word is in us. Something will rise up and in us and say, no, no, no. My spirit doesn't bear witness for that. And the word of God does not bear witness for that. Amen. So we need to be filled with the word of God and use this opportunity and this time to get filled with the scriptures. So verse 2. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, son of man, and I love this imagery, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness, because his words are sweet to us, amen. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Speak my words to them. I remember when I first gave my heart to Yeshua, it was in 1984. I was living in New York City. And um, I remember being so excited, of course, about my salvation But at the same time, in in an absolute state of shock, looking around at people, thinking of the words of Yeshua, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter on that road. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, or difficult is the road, that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And I was just looking at these people, and just all I could see was just hell lying before them. And I thought, how many of the people that I'm looking at, whether Jewish or whether not, are believers in Yeshua? How many, if they were to die today, are going to go to heaven? And I knew that the vast majority that I was seeing were not ready. And so um, my wife laughs when I talk about this, but I actually went to a fashion college just because I just wanted to study in America, and I wanted to be in Manhattan, so there was a fashion college. I never really used it, but I ended up getting a degree there before I got my theological degree. Um, but my, my point is, there I was, and it was a very uh, respected school, Fashion Institute of Technology on 27th and 7th, for those of you who know Manhattan. And um, there was a street preaching ministry. Um, in those days, it was 1983 A very, very rough place, Manhattan in those days. Um, And the Times Square area especially was very rough. And there was a street preaching ministry there What it looked to me like these people would hold a microphone and shout at people. (laughs) You know, and it just like, to me, that was like my worst nightmare, you know, as an unsaved Jew. I mean, before I was a believer and, and even as a believer, it was like a nightmare to me to watch, you know. And, you know, a huge sign behind the street preacher saying, prepare to meet thy God, you know. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, I, you know, when I, when I get to share with my Jewish friends who are not yet believers, and I just mention the word Jews for Jesus, they think, oh that's, why, oh, that's why they brainwashed you. So I'm almost reticent to even say that, you know. But, uh, but the very Jews for Jesus, I mean, thank God that they are, you know, reaching the Jewish people. So I'm not against, obviously I'm for that. But here's my point. But a Jews for Jesus person ultimately led me to the Lord, but it was just a very, very brief meeting. Because they were a Jewish believer and they, of course, understood the Scriptures, uh, the Lord used a Jewish believer. In fact, Avi Snyder, uh, David, you might know Avi Snyder, Jews for Jesus, he led me to the Lord in 1984. But as soon as I say that to a Jewish person who's not a believer yet, oh, that's why, because they brainwashed you. It had nothing to, to, to do with them except for the fact that they led me to the Lord. Uh, but anyway, so I, I was handing out tracts. I mean, I was, you, know, you get saved and Jews for Jesus knows that you're a Jewish believer. <laughs> They'll have you handing out tracts in seconds, you know. Um, so I just thought, well, that's what you do. You get saved and then you just hand out tracts, you know. I just I thought, well, that's, I didn't really know why, but they just said you're supposed to do that. So, okay. So, <laughs> so we, I'm in Manhattan, you know, handing out these tracts, sort of wondering why I'm doing it, but just told it's the right thing to do. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, uh, I haven't called you to hand out tracts. I've called you to preach. So, you know, I'm just a young believer. I'm just I'm so excited that I'm hearing God's voice. So I just go to the leader of that little group, you know, and I said, I don't remember his name, and I said, um, I said God just told me that he hasn't called me to hand out tracts. He's called me to preach. <laughs> so he looked at me. I don't know if he thought I was crazy or whatever. He said, no, we don't do that. We just hand out tracts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that was, that was the end of my juice for Jesus' career, you know. Um, so I just, I thought, well, how do I preach? I don't know what to do. So there was a street preaching ministry. Brian, my sister, I still remember her name. She was African-American sister, very bold, very strong in the Lord. Her name was Brenda. And she had the sign behind her saying, prepare to meet thy God, which, you know, whatever. You know, I just was kind of come to terms with that. And I said, God told me that he's called me to preach. And so, we talked for a few minutes, and she she understood that I had a genuine experience, genuine born-again experience, and I just listened to her preaching, and she would say, prepare to meet thy God, ye must be born again. And, you know, I was reading the Scriptures, and I knew, but obviously I had been born again, John 3 and verse 3. And so, God was really dealing with my heart about standing up there and preaching. I thought, can you imagine my, my... you know, to, to my American friends, you know, many of them Jewish, you know, I've got this really sort of, sort of posh accent, very civilized kind of, I just, I just couldn't imagine me standing on a street corner shouting at people. It's just, you understand, like that's just not me. But I knew the Lord was calling me to preach on the street. And so um, as I was reading the scriptures, I believe it's in First Corinthians, Paul the Apostle says this, that I came to you in much fear... And weakness and trembling. <laughs> and I thought, well, that excla- that completely describes me, even the thought of street preaching. It's just weakness, fear, and trembling. But I was encouraged by it. And so uh, Sister Brenda, as she was known, she said, okay, just give it a shot. And I began to preach, and it was like fire came out. And uh, I felt an anointing. I felt a grace. And by the grace of God, many people, I mean, many people hated me, <laughs> but many came to the Lord as well. But then after about a week or so, she just pulled me, pulled me aside very gently. And she said, look, um, I guess I because I didn't know one translation from another. I just had an English Bible that, that I'd gotten from the International Bible Society. And it was an NIV Bible. And so I didn't know one from another. I didn't know there's like a you know, gazillion English translations. You know, I just thought it's the Bible in English. So she said, brother, we, we only use the King James Bible you know, so I love your preaching, it's great, you know, you're very effective, any time you can come preach here, uh, but we only use King James, and I didn't really know what that was, and so I got a King James Bible, and I saw, you know, thou must be born again, prepare to meet thy God, instead of prepare to meet your God, and so I just thought there were just, you know, thou, thines, and thys, and thou, you know, just stuff that just would make my tongue get all thick and tongue-twisted. Tongue So I thought I'd already begun very quickly to memorize scriptures in the NIV. So I thought, look, I can't like re-memorize all the scriptures with all the thys and thons and thys and whatever. And thines. Uh, So uh, I'm just going to preach just using the regular NIV. And I'm just going to say, you know, uh, just say, instead of saying, prepare to meet your God, I say, prepare to meet thy God. And instead of saying, you must be born again, I'd say, ye must be born again. And Brenda was as happy as could be, you know. <laughs> she didn't realize I was still using the NRV, but just doing that in its place. But the, the Lord had just put this, this urgency in my spirit, and that was 1983, that the time is so short and you must proclaim the gospel. You must preach the gospel. You must preach the gospel. Because it's a proclamation, it's a declaration. It's not a debate. Yes, there's a place for debate. It's not a discussion. And yes, there's a place for discussion. But ultimately, it's a declaration. Ultimately, the gospel is a declaration and the gospel is a proclamation. That Yeshua is not only the Savior of the world. That Yeshua is not only the Savior, but He's also the judge if people reject Him. That He's both Savior and judge, and he's no less judge than he is Savior. And it's very interesting, you'll find if you look at the, in the, through the book of Acts, usually when Paul the Apostle was speaking to a Gentile audience, sometimes he would even present him only as judge. Or emphasize that he's the judge of all men, not only the Savior of all men. And God wants us to declare the full counsel of God to let people know that Yeshua, yes, he died to save us. You know, the message of the gospel is repent and believe. It's always repent first. Repent and believe. That we need to turn from our sins. We need to turn back to God. But if we don't turn, if, if, if individuals do not turn, if the nation does not turn, it will bring the wrath of God uh, upon, upon this nation. And that's why we prayed as we did today, and we will continue to pray for God to show his mercy. So um, let us turn to um, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew and chapter 11, and we're going to begin to wrap up in this section. You know, something something very very interesting to me is as Messianic Jews, whether you're Jewish, Messianic believers, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, but if you attend here, I know you have excellent teaching here, so you guys are very biblically literate, which is a blessing <laughs> because a lot of believers are not very biblically literate. But we know that the, the scripture has two descriptions essentially of Messiah. And we've heard Moshiach ben Yosef, right? Messiah, son of Joseph. Uh, in the sense that he's a type, Moshiach is a type of Joseph, not the, the father of Jesus, I'm not talking about that, but, but Joseph in the Old Testament, or Moshiach ben David. So it's like the suffering servant or Messiah, Moshiach ben David, the ruling reigning king, like King David. And, and if, you, if you look at, for example, Isaiah 53, and then you look at Isaiah 63, they're almost like two completely different descriptions. You can understand why many of the Jews believe there's two messiahs. Because the one is the suffering servant that they don't like to read about in Isaiah 53. And the other one, and when you have a chance, just read the first few verses of Isaiah 63. And it talks about, about the Lord with, with, the, with the blood of the nations spattered on his garment. And he's, he, the wrath of God is trampling on the nations and his garment is 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 red with the blood of the people, compared to the, the, the wine press of his wrath. For those of you who've seen a wine press in Israel, it is no joke. <laughs> yes, it's one thing for people, you know, little children to have their shoes off and hopefully f- clean feet, <laughs> treading on the on the grapes, right, to separate the t- take the seeds out and for the for the for the juice or the. The blood of the grapes, as it actually says in Hebrew, the blood of the grapes to come out so it can become wine. But you take the same imagery and you see Yeshua in Isaiah 63 trampling on the nations and the blood as he tramples them is spattering his garments and his garments become red with blood. And uh, me and my wife were speaking at a Christian school a number of months ago and I I read Isaiah 53 to them and, and Isaiah 63, and they were confused who's the one person and who's the other. I said it's the same person. I'm not sure if you guys are tracking with me here, but here's my point. So as Jewish people, we get confused, and in the Midrash, for example, I believe it's in the Midrash, they, they've come to the conclusion there's these two messiahs because they seem to contradict each other, and we can understand that. So the many Christians... I mean, you know, in the church world, we'd say, oh, but those Jewish people, how can they not see? How can they be so blind? But have we ever thought, I'm talking about in the broader church world, we understand the suffering servant in the church world, but you talk to them about the son of David, oh, no, that's not God. Whereas with most Jewish people, you talk about the righteousness, the indignation, the wrath, the judgment of God, Jewish people understand, but you talk about the suffering servant, they say, oh no, that's not God. Do you see the point here? And so as Jewish believers who understand about Moshiach ben David, and Christians in many cases only understanding Moshiach ben Yosef, but they're both incomplete without the other. Much of the church world rejects. They wouldn't say it officially, but much of the church world unofficially <laughs> rejects the Lion of Judah but accepts the Lamb of God. Many Jewish people accept, accept the Lion of Judah but reject the Lamb of God. When those two come together, then we have a true picture. That's why it's so important that Jew and Gentile come together in, into one new man and Messiah, amen, as it says in Ephesians. So, so as we begin to wrap up... Uh, I've given this explanation and so you'll you'll really see this this contrast as Yeshua is speaking in Matthew 11 starting at verse 21. Woe to you In fact, let's start at verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Why? Because they did not repent. Now, I just want to say this, and this is not a, a, a judgment. It's just an observation. In a messianic setting, it's easier for me to explain this. It's easier for you to receive because you're raised in that environment. But it's not easy to preach this in most churches. Say, so have you ever had a picture when you think of Yeshua, you know, say I would say in a church, when you think of Jesus, you know, sweet and kind, you know, holding children and hugging children and just being sweet to everyone, Have you ever thought of him in this way? The people who rejected him after he'd shown great miracles, what did he say? Then he began to rebuke the cities, Yeshua. Sweet, gentle, and lowly Yeshua began to rebuke whole cities. And I don't think it was gentle, and I don't think it was quiet. I think it was in a thundering voice. It doesn't tell you his body language, but I would not have liked to have been from those cities. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, I'm going to unload a pet peeve of mine, so you'll have to bear with me, okay? But I hate it when the miraculous is made into a show. I, I cannot tell you, I believe it makes God angry, like, like really, really angry, I don't think it's just my flesh. I believe it's a righteous indignation. You know, if, if genuine miracles are being done and, you know, coats are being thrown at people and the, the Holy Spirit's being treated like he's some kind of a, a mist that you throw around, trust me, you cannot throw God around. God will throw you around. <laughs> you can't play with God. He's not a game. It's not a joke. Why, why do I feel so strongly about this? Because when a genuine miracle is, is, is done, and people know that it's Yeshua, there's a huge accountability that comes with that when they see the miraculous and they know that it's Yeshua. Because with with much light is much accountability. That's why, in a sense, God holds America to a higher standard because there's so much light in this nation of the gospel. So much light. And so, in a sense, God holds us to a higher standard. You understand what I'm saying? So what am I saying you're going to see here? He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So after those miracles were done, and I'm sure they were amazed at the miracles, but now there was a huge responsibility because they did not repent. After they saw those miracles, look what Yeshua said. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Can you imagine that if Tyre and Sidon, which were completely destroyed, had seen what Yeshua had done in Kerasan and Bethsaida, they would have repented? But I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Can you imagine? Why? Because Yeshua did mighty miracles, but they still didn't accept Yeshua. They just, I don't know what they thought, unbelief or that it's a show or they rejected him. Then he goes on to say, and you Capernaum, and I've led many trips to Israel. Me and my wife have led, I think, three over the last 18 months. And I know it says Capernaum, whenever I'm with Ari Bar David, if anyone even says Capernaum, he just stops them in their track. He said, it's not Capernaum, it's Kfar Nachum. <laughs> it's the village of comfort or the village of the comforter. So woe to you Kfar which is right on the Lake of Galilee, who were exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He told, obviously, except for the few people who received him there, which weren't many. You who are exalted to heaven, in other words, in pride, you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Can you imagine that if Sodom and Gomorrah, had seen the miracles that Qarnahum had seen, they would have repented. Yeshua can't lie. He stated this, it's a fact. They would have repented if they saw the miracles of Yeshua. Qarnahum Nahum saw those miracles and they didn't repent. But I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And if you've been to Qarnahum, it's just not much there. You know, just a few a broken down synagogue where Yeshua preached. Of course, it's great to see where he preached and Peter's house, but it's just like lava rocks You know, that tourists go and look at. And I think it's so amazing. That's all that's left of it. And then here's what I want to uh, close with as we wrap up. It seems like a, like a sudden transformation in Yeshua's tone, complete transformation, almost like it's two different people. And he says, at that time, Yeshua answered and said. But what did he answer? If it says he answered, it means there must have been a question. So to find the question, we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 11. Now it came to pass when Yeshua finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Messiah, he sent two of disciples and he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look? Or another, so they wanted to know if Yeshua, if if he's the, if are you the Messiah? So who is he answering to? He's answering his disciples. How many of you are his disciples? Put up your hand if you're a disciple. Okay. So if you're a disciple, you have nothing to fear, even though I've read what I've read. Because look how he answers his disciples. Completely different. These are people who've repented and who've received God's mercy and forgiveness. Complete change of tone. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then look at these tender, tender words after he's just condemned these huge cities with, with Who knows how many people, hundreds or even thousands. He's literally condemned whole cities. And look at this complete transformation, how he speaks to his disciples. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. How many labor and are heavy laden? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to this. The same Yeshua who we just heard condemning these cities, he says this. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I'm gentle and lowly. I'm gentle and humble in heart, it says in a different translation. If we really are going to be true to Scripture, Yeshua is angry with the unrepentant that he's incredibly merciful and loving and kind to those with repentant hearts. And this is what we're seeing in our nation today and around the world. We live here in America. God has been so patient with all of us. So patient, so loving. Even this is a wake-up call to the whole body of Messiah. But the times... Are going to get harder and the and the birth pangs are going to get closer and closer together. It's not going to get easier. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not going to get easier. But for those of us who are willing to repent, he is meek and lowly in heart, and we, his disciples, we will find rest for our souls. We will find rest. For our souls. And his love and his kindness is reaching out. There's nothing the only thing that really makes God angry is when we stiffen our necks and harden our hearts to him and refuse to repent. It brings up God's wrath, it does. But right here and right now, whether you're watching online or whether you're here, right now, and just no moving around just for these last few moments. If you are not sure that you're right with the Lord. You know, very very often, and there's nothing wrong with saying every head bowed, every eye closed. I do that myself sometimes. But today as I was preparing, I really felt not to do that. But I really felt the Lord put on my heart, if you don't feel like you're ready if the Lord was to come today, that you're not ready for His coming. You're not ready for His return. That you're not right with God. You know, if we can't make a public stand for Yeshua in front of believers who love you and who will never persecute you, how are you going to stand in the world where it's rough and where it's difficult? I'm just going to ask you very simply, Is right where you see it. If you're not sure that you're right with Yeshua, if you're not sure that if you're to die today that you're going to go to heaven, if you haven't yet repented of your sins or you're not sure if you're saved, I simply want you to just stand up, And come to the front right now. Stand up in your seat, wherever you are, publicly, if that's you. And I want to pray with you. If there's anybody here, or anybody online. I know you can't come up here if you're online. But just to give your heart to the Lord. So I'm I'm not going to rush this. Please don't let pride stop you. But if you know that you need to get right with the Lord and you're not right, it doesn't matter if you're a a little child or if you're an adult, but if you're not sure if you're right with the Lord, I want you to stand up right where you are in your seat. God bless you. Come forward, sister. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You're not going to rush. Anybody else? If you're not sure. Our sister here has shown the courage to do what's right. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to stand up and Come forward. I'll ask my wife to come here to pray with us. Maybe. What's your name? Amanda. God bless you for what you're doing today. He's going to pray with Amanda right now. Just, you know that Jesus loves you so much. And um, just, you're willing to just pray. Just say, Father, thank you for sending Yeshua. Die for me. I receive your forgiveness. I repent of my sins. I turn away from my past life. Forgive me today. I believe you died for me on the cross, and that you rose again. And I receive you into my life and my heart. Thank you for your forgiveness in Yeshua's name. Amen. And amen. The Lord bless you. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a, what an amazing honor and blessing to be able to share the word of God.